You are locked into another episode of Meg Talks, the people's platform home to queer. POC, millennial conversation. Big up yourself if you're locked in for the first time. Manners and respect. If you're coming back for another episode, man, you know I appreciate you. You can tune into every single episode on Spotify, Anchor, iTunes, Google Podcasts, we're about the place. But the best thing you can do is go over to Meg Talks online on Instagram. Check out the link in my bio and you can choose whatever platform you want to listen to. Anyway, I've got a very, 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 very exciting guest that I have personally been looking forward to for a while. Uh, multidisciplinary creative, more so known for their contributions and adding value into like our music scene. Really strong with the camera, doing their photography thing. But anyways, people, let's welcome Dolly Sunshine into the goddamn building. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me. Honestly, it's such a pleasure and privilege to be here. Mm. How, first of all, man, how are you? How's your week been? What's been going I'm on? I'm good. I'm really, really well. Like, I can't complain. I feel like it's been a chill week. Mm-hmm. For me, a chill week is like busy, but not crazy. Right. So it's like, I've had moments. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been a good one. So I can't complain. It's like, this is the calm before the storm. Right. Like, right. I'm telling you, as soon as May comes, it's a wrap. And that's summer for me. And then it's just nonstop. Mm-hmm. I've, listen, we're going to get into the summer. Mm-hmm. So like, what does a typical week look like for you? You know what? It's crazy. I don't even know what a typical week is for me anymore. Because mm-hmm. like, everything is so different. Because like you said before, I'm multidisciplinary. So I do video production, photography, and I DJ. Mm-hmm. Um. Before lockdown, I was working for a production company. So I had like a nine to five, I went into the office. It was kind of scheduled. Um, even though it was really creative, it was like, there was more structure to it. Mm-hmm. And then coming out of it, I've literally just, cause I do everything freelance, it's literally things pop up as they, they come. So it's like, I kind of try and schedule my week so that it's not too crazy, but I like to be active. During the day, it's usually more video photography stuff, mm-hmm. a lot of content stuff as well. Um, and then it's usually evenings, nights is when the DJ is happening. So um, it's just, it's mixed, but I like it like that. Like I never know mm-hmm. what it's going to be like. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what? I, I like the freedom of mm-hmm. having kind of like a versatile lifestyle. Now, listen, I'm not even going to sit here and act brand new. Like I'm fully accustomed. Like it's only been... The last two and a half years that I've mm. been able to have flexibility within my own working schedule. Yeah. Before it was like leaving the house at between like half six and seven, mm. getting to work for eight, finishing work like half four or five, commuting back, and then the world starts. And by that time it's six thirty. Mm-hmm. And you're tired. I'm like, listen, who's got time? Well, I never had time for creativity. Yeah. Even socializing. I just wanted to come home, eat my food smoke a little something, watch a little something and go to bed. Yeah. You know, I'm coming from, but as life shifted, I work three days a week for someone else. So that gives yeah. me four days for myself. Yeah. So I had to get used to it. Like not being busy, feeling different. Yeah. Do you get yeah. where I'm coming from? Cause going to, cause like now I go, I can go to the gym at all 11 o'clock, mm-hmm. but I felt, Bummy at first, but I'm like, Megan, this is lifestyle. Yeah. This is actually a privilege that you can go to the gym at 11 o'clock. So it's a lit, man. No, it is. It mm-hmm. is. Autonomy is an amazing thing. Having like ownership of your time is so, like I said, it's a privilege because a lot of people don't have that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the past 24 months, your face and name has been everywhere. Like you've been all over my timeline, just kind of popping up. So I want to understand like where, what was your starting position to becoming a creative? Um, it's been a journey. It's been a long journey. Yeah. Um, like I mentioned before, I'm in my thirties. I'm in my mid thirties. All right. So 
we're, I think we're play, probably playing around a similar kind of numbers here. Yes. So take me back to, say, your early 20s. What were you passionate about and what were you focused on then? So video production has been like my thing, like directing, shooting, editing. That's something I've been doing for time. So studied that at college, media. I went to university, studied right. TV and video production, right. graduated. And then when I left uni, um, I was working for a production, not production, uh, a music website blog called That Grape Juice. And they do mm. like, um, they report on a lot of like pop culture and R&B, hip hop, pop music, mainly American artists a lot of the time. So I kind of was, shoot. I was the main content creator for that. So whenever artists came over, I would shoot them, we'd do interviews, we do live sessions. Mm -hmm. um, and that got me the opportunity of working with a bunch of like really like established artists. Um, and I think from that point, a lot of opportunities came away. Like I feel like when I was 21, I ended up on Beyonce's tour. What? Off of the back of Hold that. Hold on, wait. How, just talk to me about the moment where you find out that, that you that opportunity was available to you. Okay. For anyone that knows me, knows I'm a Beyonce stan. I'm in the hive, mm -hmm. you know, that show Swarm. It could have been me, but I've calmed <laughs> down, you know. I've learned, I've learned my errors. Mm -hmm. But um, so I've always been a Beyonce fan, Destiny Child. And I think, so when we were, when I was working with this, um, company we would do interviews with like different artists like Miguel and Kerry Hilson, Kelly Rowland and Michelle Williams and at the mm -hmm. time they were still managed by Beyonce's dad so we did an interview with Michelle Williams mm -hmm. um, from Destiny's Child and I was just speaking with the management and stuff like that but it was just cool like I was just being friendly mm -hmm. that was happening um at the time I was a videographer for an artist called Master Shorty I don't know if you know him or remember him but he was a rapper back in the day he came like just before Rizzle Kicks but he had the same kind of vibe and style okay. yeah, but he yeah. kind of like he was doing well and Labyrinth was his producer so before Labyrinth blew like mm -hmm. they would work together so I was working with him and he was on tour with N-dubs mm -hmm. and Tiny Temple was on that tour and that's when he put out Pass Out you remember this like his um, his big single that like blew him do you know what I I can think of Earthquake. Mm -mm -mm. Is that it? Is that an Earthquake? Or what's Pass Out? No, pass, Earthquake came out after Pass Out. Pass Out. Like, I can't remember, but it's like, it's, got, it's like, you when you hear it, you know. Yeah. I What's it? Um, I live a very, very wet wild lifestyle. Yeah. Audrey and I did Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that was that era. So I was doing that. And then I went to Beyonce's concert. And this is how I would say, like, sometimes Jenna's works. Because Beyonce put on a free concert. I don't know if people remember this. She did a concert with Trident. So, like, within the space of a week, like, I saw her twice because she had a tour and then she did a free show at the O2 through Trident mm -hmm. and you just have to like apply for it and I remember so I had gone say I went on the Monday uh, and I was like I had seats that were like good I was like oh I can finesse this I can get people down mm -hmm. to the main bit um so on this when I went back on the Wednesday I was smuggling down pure my friends like there was like oh, there's a whole like the second row from the front was empty this is back when they had seats right. at the bottom of O2 um and so I was bringing people down and as I was bringing people down I ran into her management um, and they were like, uh, what are you currently doing? I was like, oh, I'm working. They were like, where, um, at the time her dad was her manager. I was like, he is, um, managing a new girl group who's opening for Beyonce mm -hmm. and we need a videographer for the rest of the tour, the UK leg. And it's like, can you do it? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, cool. Well, we need you from tomorrow. They literally booked me a flight that night to go to Manchester. And I went to the rest of the UK leg and I was on the tour with 
like her team, I was with her band, her people. I actually mm-hmm. met her in a lift, funnily enough. Damn. It was crazy. But like, that was like a very big influential moment. But it kind of just like, yeah, just happened. I feel like everything happens for a reason. And it kind of just it does. It, came it, together. It just goes to show like how, how being a positive and open and kind spirited person works. I think it's the I think it's the golden nugget in success because it's kind of like all these different people that were in between you and this opportunity to meet Beyonce and it's like you just kind of sailed through that yeah. in a good way and to be fair alongside your actual skill set in your profession like your character really did carry you along the way so like how did it feel that moment like when you got the flight that night to say Look, it, boom come tomorrow you know what I was I have anxiety. I didn't know it at the time. Mm. So I was just really nervous and scared. I was like, oh, this is like, also I'm 21. I had this small little old camera that I was using. And I was just like, I'm, I had um, imposter syndrome. I'm like, am I supposed to be here? Is this the right opportunity for me? But I was like, I'm going to do the best I can with what I've got mm-hmm. kind of thing. And um, I feel like I'm one of the people that I overthink everything until the time. So like I worried and stressed and I was like, oh. and then when I got there, it was just, it switched on and then mm-hmm. I was fine. And that's what happens with me. Even up to this day, I still, I'm like that. Like I overthink things until I'm in it. And then when I'm in it, it just naturally happens. What are like, are there any reoccurring thoughts that you tend to ruminate over when you start to overthink? Um, I think it's more about delivering. Like, am I going to deliver? Um, am I going to fail? Um, and it's crazy because I've I've never failed in like a big way that's like held me back or been anything like that. But so it's mad that I still to this point, every DJ set or every shoot I'm going to do, I have that same anxiety. Like, am I not going to deliver mm. what I need to deliver? Um, but it never happens. But yeah, I can't switch it off. Do you know what? It's interesting we, sh- we should talk about this because it's like a reoccurring theme or a reoccurring pattern that I see with people that are really ambitious or creatives. Mm-hmm. And I recognize it in myself. And mm-hmm. I remember um, being, uh, it was about a year ago, being asked to deliver a workshop on imposter syndrome to creatives. And I was thinking to myself, Jesus Christ, <laughs> I feel like an imposter. Not having imposter syndrome about doing an imposter syndrome workshop. Right, right, right. That right, is right. so like meta, that's hilarious. Right, it was literally like, I, I, I I'm fucking up right now. Um, <laughs> And how is it possible that in this moment I don't feel sufficient mm-hmm. to give this workshop to these people on this topic? Mm-hmm. Am I being a fraud? And I had to tap into, okay, me probably 10, 15 years ago mm-hmm. and just sit down and assess where I have been and the heartbreaks, mm-hmm. the, what I call the trail of dead bodies behind mm-hmm. me, which are the, the all the opportunities that have been bodied. And I thought, at this point, Meg, I realised that it may not be imposter syndrome that I'm dealing with. I realise that it's more like, it's more unnamed emotion mm-hmm. and unrecognised emotion. So what I thought was actually imposter syndrome was, okay, nervousness. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, I can have quite a shy nature about mm-hmm. me sometimes. So it's a bit of shyness that I don't really want to be seen in this space. I'm like, yeah. mm, I just want to be quiet in the corner, just vibes, smoke, smoke, smoke a J and call, you know. But... 
there was, and then there was fear. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, I, I needed to understand that because the idea of an imposter syndrome I could get and I it, it resonated, but I'm like, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know yeah. how to change that. So I had to kind of break it down mechanically to say, for me, what are the, um, what is the makeup of imposter syndrome for me? And then when I started to say it was nervousness, it was fear, it was shyness, then I could kind of work with those individual yeah. attributes to say, okay, what am I anxious about? Mm-hmm. Then it's like, because I don't know what it's going to be like when I get there. I'm yeah. like, cool. But mate, that's all right. That's no problem. You're versatile enough. So, you know, just like that whole conversation, like it's, it's been a bit of a journey for yeah. me. I'm still getting there, but I'm glad that we've got into it because we're kind of, we're going to do a 360 and come mm. back to this in a, in a much mm. deeper way in the conversation. Yeah. So for me, I want to, I'm interested about your what you're doing with DJing right now, because you're shutting it down. Yeah, you're bringing the vibes to the community and so on. First and foremost, what are you beating right now? What songs have you got on repeat that you're totally feeling? The one song I have on replay is by Joyce Rice, Bittersweet Goodbyes. I don't know if you've heard it. Mm -mm. There's like an energy. Whenever I hear it, it makes me feel like summer and it makes me want to dance and vibe. I'm like, I love listening to things that I don't hear often. Like I get bored really quick. So if something is in heavy rotation on like radio or playlists or out, I don't really listen to it. I love to listen to songs that like I'm not hearing out. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And because I'm out all the time, um, that's why I kind of like to find songs like that. But like, I love like, yeah, I'm Donny Sunshine. I love the summer. I love like songs that are upbeat and vibey. Um, that's kind of where it just keeps me, it keeps my energy up. Okay. 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 So um, if you're, what I would say folks here is definitely check out Donnie's catalogue because you're known for Queer Brock, Jungle mm. Kitty, there's Fluid London, there's Mighty Hoopla and there's, what's it called? The To the left. To the left. That's there we go. I was yes. about to say go left. To yeah. The left radio station and events as well. Yeah. So go, if, if you're, if you're completely new to Donnie, start there, start on the Instagram page and I'm pretty sure you're going to find something that fits your personal taste and so on. So before we, before we, um, before we get into your backdrop of your story and kind of mm. look into your repertoire, there are a couple of moments that have happened over the last couple of weeks in music that have just, oh my God, my soul has just sung and I've been super, super happy. So um, Little Sims announced her stateside tour. Mm-hmm. I think it was last week. Yeah. Oh my God, my people. Yes, Sims. And like, I reposted about it. And she looked at the story and liked it. And mm. listen, I was gassed. Mm. Bruh, mm. I know it sounds really trivial to most people. But if you know how I love Sims, she looked at my story Sims and my ratings. And I'm like... It's amazing. Yeah. And the thing is, it was a celebration of Sims in that post. Yeah. Genuinely, because for anyone that doesn't know, um, following the release of her last album, she had like a big tour and she was going to do a stateside tour. And what had happened was the budget wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had to humbly back out and cancel her stateside mm. dates. And a lot of people are confused because she had won the MOBOs mm. that year. She mm. had just dropped, I can't remember what the name of the album was, but it's the album of Point and Kill. Yeah. Crazy, crazy album. Um, So it from an optics point of view, it's mm. like, she must have the bag. Yeah. How can she be cancelling due to finance? Yeah. It don't make sense. But that's a whole other story in itself. But to see her come back in under a year, put on a stateside show. She's got, what, 10 shows? It's fucking impressive, man. So crazy. Mm. So anyone that's actually going, drop me a little DM, man. Drop me a DM and let me know what your plans are. I'd love to hear what you're doing. Um, and I'd love to hear also what your favourite little Sims, Sims song is right now. 
Mine's still gonna be point and kill. It's quite. It's not her best song, mm-hmm. but just hearing that, I do as I want. Mm. I do as I like. I know what face. I don't fear nobody. Oh my god! What? Do you know how powerful I feel? It's it's amazing. You know what's funny? Like I've known Sims for years, mm-hmm. and like I don't know if you ever went Visions back in the day. Visions is a nightclub in, in Dawson. Yeah, I remember so, it for the white and black tiled floor that they had yeah. going on. So I used to work on the bar there okay. years ago, maybe like 2015 times. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that was so amazing about that place, it was a hub of like artists and creatives. Like behind the bar, there was like designers and models and artists. Mm-hmm. And then all the artists would always come. So like I met Sims there Um and like, we've been cool ever since. And it's like, there's so much people have kind of come through. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also one thing I want to point on is that like this this world, the creative scene, the industry is so small and connected. There's so much people that like stay connected and you see throughout, like it just, mm-hmm. so the, and a, lot of, a lot of my successes comes from like hard work and grinding, but it's also connections, right. but like authentic ones. Like people I went to college with, people I worked with, people I've been around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you talk about Little Sims, I'm like, I just love celebrating her. Like she's amazing. She's so talented. And especially when I've seen her from like over 10 years ago, like, and what she's been doing from the mixtapes and Mm -hmm. all of the things that she's done. I'm just like, it's great. And it's just a reminder that like, we can all achieve what we want to achieve. It just takes time. We've got to be like diligent, stick at it. And it will come when it's, Mm -hmm. when it's meant for us, it will come. I hear you. And I I think, um, for that very reason, I feel so proud of Sim mm-hmm. because I personally feel like she had every reason to quit because she was putting a lot of content out there, putting good music yeah. out there in a time where when we're thinking about female lyricists mm-hmm. and stuff, the space was quite scarce mm-hmm. on the UK scene and she wasn't getting the recognition that she deserved as far as I saw it. But when I saw her have her moment at the Mobos and um, there was a moment when I think her mum came on stage. I don't know if that was at the Brits even. I think that was at the Brits. Was it at the Brits? Oh my, all my life, I nearly cried. I nearly cried because I, I, like I said, I remember the days when Sims was pushing and she just stuck with it. She mm-hmm. just stuck with it. And it's that moment of, it's the last man standing. Yeah. In that, so she, I just wanted to ded- ded- uh, dedicate just a portion of the show, just to say, man, I appreciate you, Sims. Um, Remy Bergs and Teo have been announced for DLT Malta as Sick. well, which is very, very exciting. So if you're planning to go over to Malta, let me know. I'm not going to be there this year. Me and D over there, we're going Rotatom. We're going okay. to do the reggae thing. Yeah, nice. going, yeah that's, that's the vibe this year. But if you're going, let me know because... I'm looking to get Teo on the show as well, man. It's 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 getting ridiculous Please now. Please do. That is talent right there. Mm-hmm. Like literally so mad. I saw her earlier mm-hmm. on the way here and we were just talking. And like, I really love the, the, the scope of DJs that's out at the moment. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of talent and there's a lot of camaraderie. Like there's so much DJs that I'm cool with and we respect each other and we support each other. I think just being a DJ and a creative is one thing, but then also being black and being queer on top of it and being able to fit in many different spaces mm-hmm. um, that isn't just um, fixed in our intersections. I think that's also such a blessing and such a privilege mm-hmm. to be able to just play and just be represented for your talent and be recognized for your talent more so rather than necessarily what you represent always. Like it's good, I'm very, I'm a big champion of black queerness and my community. But for me, I would never want to be labeled as a black or a queer anything because mm-hmm. those are just elements of me. Like whatever I do speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I, I 100% feel that. And 
from last year, I really started to feel like something was happening. Mm-hmm. Right, and it it probably could have started well before a year ago, and I'm kind mm. of just tuning into that frequency now. Um, simply because of the growth of the podcast. So it's put mm. me in certain spaces and I'm having certain conversations. But as of last year for me, it just felt like some within the black LGBT plus space, mm-hmm. something is happening, bro. Mm-hmm. And I can't put my finger on it, but I feel like it's going to be one of those things that, like, you know, you get those flowers and you see the bud getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then the mm-hmm. next day, boom, it's just this massive flower. That's what I think is going to happen here because... I think the black British culture is, has been quite established for quite some time. Mm-hmm. But what that meant for us, um, I think it was slightly different and it felt quite uncertain for me. Mm-hmm. When I think back to like 17, 18, 19 year old me, there wasn't really anyone I could really look up to or tap into and say, look, this is who I want to follow. This is a part of a, a commu- the part of the community that I want to be in. But there are so many pockets of yeah. this community that even... Uh, if you've got a niche or something really specialist that you're into, you can find a whole set of black people yeah. that are fully into this shit and they're cool as fuck as well. Yeah. It's why I, I, I love that. And imagine in the next five years. Yeah. It's literally, I say with my friends all the time, it's a renaissance mm-hmm. in the sense of like, I feel like this time will be remembered. Like remember the 80s, remember the 70s, remember different moments in history. And I feel like what's happening now, there's going to be, we're going to be remembered because there's so much, I think being black, British, um, there's so much diversity in it. There's so much different pockets and intersections, like said, that have their own spaces that's flourishing. Mm. And also it's interconnected as well. I don't think things are things are not as separated yeah. as they used to be. Um, and I think that's what's been so amazing about watching everything unfold mm-hmm. over the last few years. Do you know who a really good um, example of a really good example you can reflect that there are niche spaces, but they're still interconnected. Um, K Obizi Bailey, who does um queer black um not queer black uh prim black. Oh yeah, dry babe, dry babe. DJ and host and host a book club. Yep. For me, they couldn't. Be, they're they're two worlds apart, mm-hmm. but that's one person who who has the ability to express himself and transcend through any kind of barriers into just creativity. And it yeah. kind of reminds me of you in that respect because I just see you as a creator and I can't pigeonhole you or box you into anything because I think even when it comes down to DJing, let's mm. just say that you get tired of that and you you will go on to do something else, right? If you put down the camera, yeah. you put down that you will be creative somewhere else, kind of yeah. bringing things to life. So I love that it's almost becoming like... um. It's like an internal energy mm-hmm. that can be shared rather than just it being skills based now. Yeah. Do you get around? I definitely get you. I, I don't know how clear that was. And I hope that you guys can follow with them. Like, I went in my whole little creative bubble mm. here, but it, it's lovely. And do you know who they're kind of sitting completely outside of this world? But do you know who I love as a DJ? Who? Uncle Waffles. Oh. Jesus. Crispy. Do you want to do an intro to like Uncle Waffles for someone who maybe doesn't know who she is? Um, to be fair, like, I don't have, like, all of the background on it because, mm-hmm. like, I'm a piano isn't necessarily my wheelhouse. Got you. But what I have been introduced is, like, she is a talented um, DJ, producer, performer, creative um, in the I'm a piano sphere. Mm-hmm. I, I think she's from South Africa. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And she, yeah, she's got, she's energy. And one thing about her, when I see her videos and see her performances, is like as a DJ, one thing I love and gravitate is she's partying. Mm -hmm. She's having a good time. She puts on a show. I think that's one thing for me that I always do. Like whenever I'm DJing, I party. I have a good time. And a lot of people, when they like, they come to me after, they always say, you look like you're having a good time. Mm -hmm. And I've seen a lot of DJs where their head is down and they're just like playing music. And I feel like that reads to the crowd sometimes. And it, and it's not your fault. Like some people, like I said, have anxiety. Some people have different processes. So I'm not knocking it, but I feel like when you're engaging with the crowd, they engage with you and it really like brings up the experience. So that's something that I've seen of her, which I think is amazing. Yeah, she 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 is something special. Um, and it is that whole party theme. Like she will get up. Listen, she'll get up on the table and start dancing. Yes. She will clean, leave the decks and go on and start mm -hmm. dancing it. And I love to see the music just tick her. Mm -hmm. Do you know where I'm coming yeah, from? Because yeah. for me, that's exactly what it's about. Yeah. As much as I see a DJ very much as being a conductor of an orchestra, mm -hmm. right? You're bringing us up, you're bringing us down. You're giving us a minute to catch a breath, go to the bar, smoking area, come back and, and get lit. But what, as much as it's a job and that's what you're there to do, I want to feel that you're in it with me. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? We're yeah. all in this together. Yeah. Some of the best DJs I've seen in my whole life were um, at the um, Living Proof Living Proof events. Yeah, Shit. Living Proof. Amazing. They're coming to an end now. What? They've just Yeah, they announced recently they're doing their last... Three parties, two in London, I think one in New York um, this summer. I think it's been 16 years it's they've been, been doing time. it. Like Khalil, amazing, like, and the whole team. Mm -hmm. Like that, that's another, like when I did To The Left, like Living Proof is one of the nights that I use as a reference. Like, cause like when I started going out, going out in East London, um, I'm from Hackney anyway, but when I came back from uni and there was a lot of parties, Living Proof was one of them, Work It was another. Mm -hmm. There was a night called Yo-Yo's that happened at Notting Hill's Art Club in Notting Hill. Um, uh, there was a night called Trading Places, that was Reggie Yates' nights, which was like, it was like one of those secret parties would happen like every third Sunday. And like, you had to just, there was, you never knew where it was. Mm -hmm. You had to know someone. Okay. Like a lot of those things back then, it was Reggie just like, Yates. yeah. What, Reggie Yates? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How that was like, know? that was back in, that was like 2010 times. Like, mm -hmm. so like there was a lot of parties. And I think that also represented what I represented that connects with me. Cause I'm like, I grew up in Hackney, born and raised black, mm -hmm. Caribbean, British, but I was never, I would say traditional, outside of my queerness as well. Like I just loved alternative music, whether it was black alternative artists or white ones. I love bands. I love like, love NERD. I love Khalees. I love like, um, I love artists like that as well as like Kings of Leon and The Killers and Friendly Fire and mm -hmm. Santi Gold. And so when when you see like, although they didn't necessarily play those that music, it, it literally fit a different demographic. Cause before I was raving, I was an EC. I was doing Funky House. I was in a hard shoe, mm -hmm. a Lylan Scott, you know, the, 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 the cardigan and a tie. The girls were in a bodycon dress. It was very much that. So I feel like coming out of that, going to uni and coming back and then being like, I've actually found my people. I found my scene. It's, yeah. It was really nice like and amazing to see. Do you know what? You've spoken to um, something that is definitely very reflective of my experience growing mm. up because going raving when I would have probably just hit raving age, it mm. was going West End. Mm -hmm. 
West End was still running the game. Um, there was an event called Cameos. Oh, no, my God. Right? And you, you, had, you, you had to even wear office soul shoes. So the man, yeah. them, the man them were wearing some baggy ass jeans, yeah, with some Sunday school creps. And it was, it was, it was pretty, I'm not going to lie, it was fun. But there was a gap. Mm-hmm. There was a gap that needed filling. And that gap got filled very, very quickly. And I feel like Shoreditch, Dawson, and in mm. and around that area started to plug that. Mm-hmm. So, like you were saying, when... Um, I remember Living Proof when it was at XO Wire. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I remember stepping into this place and I was like, fuck, I don't have to wear shoes. I can come in my crepes. I can come looking cool. It's not yeah. about looking presentable to the point where you're going to get let in the club. I can just come as myself yeah. knowing that I'm going to get in because I've got a ticket now. Yeah. Everybody in the line looks like me. Yeah. And it's lit. But mm-hmm. there was... I feel like, especially like for a generation that's come into the raving scene as it is, it mm. definitely wasn't always like this. No. And I remember like heaven on a Wednesday was the black night. Do you get where I'm coming from? Mm. And it, it come like, it, it didn't matter what job we was doing. Come Wednesday, 11 o'clock, everybody was in a line queuing up outside Charing Cross Station. You know? So the scene has definitely evolved over that time. But you you mentioned like some really interesting artists. So like N.E.R.D., Killies, Pharrell. Those were artists that I really loved as well. Mm. But like my my music catalogue was was a little bit out there. And I, mm. I mentioned it on a episode on a previous episode, but for the purpose of this, yeah. you know, like heavy metal was my thing. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Um and then there was a band called Rage Against the Machines mm-hmm. who okay. kind of have yeah. got like the light metal feel, but they got the hip hop feel to it as well. So you can like break your mm. neck and start, you know. But even if I go a bit before that now, like Lim Biscuit. What mm. are you, Bridget? I was, I was, I was, I was going back. I was going back the other day in the archives of stuff. Keep rolling, rolling, mm-hmm. rolling, mm. rolling. Oh my god! Cause I used to go off. Um, Evanescence. Mm-hmm. Save me from my. Dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm telling you. Trust me. I'm telling you. But then, like, so that was like the white spectrum because this yeah. is me and my white Bridget them yeah. But then the middle ground now. We're talking about clips. N.E.R.D., mm-hmm. Lupe, Fiasco, yep. all of that. And that's where I felt like in my late teenage years, that's mm-hmm. where I was at. That's where I felt comfortable. Mm-hmm. See that skate, um, yep. skateboard era? Yeah. Absolutely. And I know that you did a um, Neptune's versus Timberland. Oh, yeah. When I when do my little research, I came across that and I said, shit, that must have been crazy that was a vibe it how was, did the audience receive that it was um, the audience were amazing so that was um a night put on by nava london um and my friend dj mr s he's a talented talented dj like one of my favorites um and he is he used to be a dancer so he's got a whole connection to the dance world um and he's like my age as well so he mm-hmm. puts on events that like are for our age group and so it's very like you know late 20s early 30s vibe um so he's done different ones but he put that together and he knows how much of it i'm a big neptunes and timberland fan like Mm. i love them both so it was like three djs it was me dj mr s and dj cable Mm -hmm. and how it worked was is two of those they had like one had neptunes one had timberland and i got to do both Mm -hmm. because i did the first set that had but i did like the like album cuts and like you know the cult ones um and honestly, it was crazy. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. Like the amount of just the vibes that was in the space. Like, you know, when people are just dancing yeah. with a smile on their face and singing their heart out. Mm-hmm. Um, it really, really was a beautiful moment. So yeah, that was crazy. 
I've I've got some questions that mm-hmm. I'm gonna circle back on, but I need to talk about Gwen Stefani real quick mm-hmm. because I I was talking about Gwen Stefani and what was the band she was in? No doubt. Yeah. Jesus, and I thought, imagine if No Doubt was out now. Mm-hmm. Imagine No Doubt during the social media media era. Mm-hmm. Imagine No Doubt during this um kind of like the festival era. I would have loved to have seen. It would be amazing to see what Gwen Stefani could have done in this generation because mm-hmm. she was big in like the nineties. I say. Not late like, 2000s. 2000s, yeah, late 90s, late 90s early 2000s. 2000s. Yeah. yeah, so I, like I said, I had a big conversation mm. about this. So, like, shout, shout out Gwen Stefani and so on. But, um, thinking about Timberland, yeah, what are some of your favorite favorite um beats or tracks that he's produced? Oh my goodness, this this is this is so hard. I think Missy has to be in there, mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff, like Super Duper Fly, Off The Cuff, mm-hmm. um, but a lot of like Missy's big singles, um, Get Your Freak On, um, like they're just iconic. And then I think of Aaliyah yeah, and I yeah, think yeah, of yeah. like We Need A Resolution, I think of Rock The Bowl, I think mm-hmm. of like, that's like he really encapsulated a time and an era. Like, and he also, like, I was never a dancer, but I had so much dancer friends. I used to be at all the dancer shows. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's it was very much like you got served. Yeah, so, like, yeah, yeah, everything. Yeah. So, he really spoke to the dancers, like, heart when it came to, like, tracks. It's like, dung, 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 yeah. dung. And everyone was like. Yeah, yeah. Was like, right. You know, little crumping. You know, little yeah. crumping. Like, everyone was just crumping. <laughs> so, I feel like with um, Timberland, like, I feel like he gave you those. He gave you those bangers that mm-hmm. was just, like energy that makes you want to dance um I'm so it's many. funny it was funny because i i um i had a little look through timberland's catalog mm. just to refresh myself and it was definitely well let me just say it say this i think he's a fantastic producer and he's got an ability to create music that Wherever you listen to it, it translates. So if yeah. you're in a car, you can rock with it. If you're in a club, you're going to turn up. Yeah. If your friend's just playing it in the background, it still can work. And I feel that sometimes I find that music works only in certain environments, but he transcended that barrier first and foremost. Definitely. But then when we're talking about Missy, Jesus Crispy. Now that was, that whole um, period of time was wild. Crazy. Crazy. It, it could never be replicated. Like that was it. Missy Elliot, I remember... Back in the day, being at like my grand's house, because I didn't have Sky or cable, my grand mm-hmm. had Sky. So when we was around there, like sitting in front of and the TV waiting for Missy videos to come on, I'm like switch, switching between MTV base and the box mm-hmm. and just going back and <laughs> forth and be like, okay, cool. Because we there was no streaming. Like, yeah. so we literally, if you went to see a video, you had to wait for it to come on mm-hmm. and waiting for it to come on, just with anticipation. And it's like, and I remember when they like seeing them for the first time, it was just blew me away. Like I remember seeing she's a bitch for the first time. Mm-hmm. And the moment when she comes out of the water and her head is born, and I'm just like, what that's literally what made me want to be a director. That's what made me want to do video. Like right. Hype Williams, mm-hmm. one of my first inspirations. I remember watching it and being like, he's just his mind was so crazy. And what he did for the black community, mm-hmm. I think he gave a layer and a texture to black hip hop artists that no one else has done. Because I say like Hype Williams, what Hype Williams did with Buster Rhymes, he he really, he gave him a different perspective. Because if you didn't have Hype Williams, and if you didn't, if you take away the imagery of Buster Rhymes, he's a gangster rapper. Mm-hmm. Like he's hard 
core. But, but vest and jeans. Like, but and he's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, it's yeah. literally like a fast DMX. Like, mm-hmm. he's, but because of the imagery, he softened it. It made it commercial. It made it right. engaging. For me, I don't really connect with like hardcore. Like, I don't really listen to like, like Mob Deep and mm-hmm. the Locks and Jade. Like, it's a bit too much okay. for me. It's mm-hmm. like, it's just not my experiences. Mm-hmm. But because of the imagery that Buster Rhymes portrayed, it made me connect with his music that I don't think I would have had he not had that imagery. So mm-hmm. I feel like that showed me that like visuals are a powerful thing. There's a, I, I wish I could remember the title of this video. Right, I'm going to try and describe mm. it. Hopefully someone in the room might be able to say, this is what it was. And he come out and he was a little kid. And he Give me some like, more. Yeah, this is. I knew exactly. When you said, soon as you said yeah. that, I was like, "Give me some more." That yeah, one. That video was. <sighs> the suits, <laughs> the the colors, the yeah. fisheye lens, yeah. the eyes, like, like there's just ah. Uh, and that... even um, the track that he did with Janet Jackson. Oh. And then, you know he turned. What's it into... gonna be? Yeah, 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 yeah. One of my like, favorite videos of all time. They're turning into water and. Yeah. Fantastic. Like, Crazy. do you know what? I'm not, I have not deeped how like how lit Buster Rhymes' visuals actually were for real. And at the time, as well, like what Missy and Buster were doing at that time, Missy and Buster, they were on futuristic shit that like they Mike were. Jackson was at, at his time doing Thriller. Can we just talk about um, the Scream music video? Mm-hmm. Let me tell you how many times I nearly bust my ass trying to do the move where they're on their uh, knees and, and jump straight up. to the feet. <laughs> <laughs> Hey! I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So for me, my favorite Michael Jackson video mm. of all time is oh. Do You Remember the Time? Do you remember the time? Oh, I... And like Mm-mm. that video hypnotized me. The colors, is this the, the imagery, Egyptian, Egyptian one, yeah. With Eddie Murphy. Yeah, and, and Iman. Um, and it's mad because I love that video and I just thought it was so amazing. And then growing up and learning about it, understanding what it represented, that was the first time Egypt was depicted with black people, all black cast. Egypt Shit. has never been depicted that way. And he actively at that time in the early 90s was like, no, I want an all black cast to depict Egypt. And like that, what Michael Jackson did, I feel like people don't realize how pro-black he was I think people like he always had black leading ladies other than the time it was his wife like Lisa Marie Presley but Mm -hmm. he would have a man who have Naomi Campbell he would have like he would have like he was very much for the culture I feel like he had his own issues when it came to his own personal image and perception but it came with like that came from a lot of like you know I'm saying like Mm -hmm. mental health and different things but I think when it came to like the culture he was so supportive of other black artists. Like, mm. it's just really interesting. Like when you look, when you grow up on something and you love it and then you learn more about it and you love it even more. I'm like, Do you know what's uh, really um, interesting about um, the, what you were talking about with Michael's intentionality mm. of portraying in, uh, Egypt in a particular mm. way? First, firstly, first, I never knew that. Mm. And when I'm reflecting back, I'm like, facts. Then there's a current outcry by native Egyptians right now that Cleopatra is has been played as a black woman on this Netflix production. Mm-hmm. So it just goes to show like, again, at that time, like he was just thinking so far ahead mm-hmm. because issues, things that were issues back then are start, still issues yeah. right now. God damn. God damn. So like, talk me through right now. Where, so 
I know that you tap into a different kind of um, catalogue of music. Like mm-hmm. you said, you're around the club, so you're hearing yeah. certain things just ringing. Yeah. Up right. So how do you tap into new artists? Because I think there are a lot of people that are tired of just tapping and taking in commercial music. And mm-hmm. it's not that it's not good or it's not enjoyable or you can't have a good time to it. Yeah. But sometimes I think people want to feel something. Mm-hmm. So when you tap into, say... Luther Vandross, mm-hmm. he will make you feel mm-hmm. something. Yeah. When you tap into say Sade, mm-hmm. she will make you feel something. Even if you tap into um, try to think on a rap spectrum, who I might. Do you know who makes me feel something? Kendrick. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Kendrick makes me feel something. But I feel like there's a lot of music right now that it sounds good, right? Mm-hmm. You can do your little TikTok mm-hmm. dance, but how does it make you feel? And I think mm-hmm. that may be missing so how do people go about kind of developing their musical catalog independently of kind of mainstream music um i say i'm a soundcloud girl like i stay on soundcloud like that's my go-to um i love finding new artists i love searching for new artists when i find an artist i find who they're similar to i love i love that moment of like when someone's about to blow or just before they blow like that's my favorite time in music um I love to research. Like, that's my thing. Like, I actually don't even use Spotify. Mm-hmm. I don't use Apple Music. Like, I have, I own all my music. So I buy music and I, because I DJ, I have to have the music anyway. But then, like, the, when I look for music, it's usually on SoundCloud. Um, and I keep my ear to the ground. Like, I love, I use TikTok as well um, to kind of find new artists and not just the ones that people are doing dances to or the most famous sounds. I feel like algorithms are really good on TikTok. So depending on what you like and connect with, mm-hmm. it will show you stuff. So it shows me new eyes all the time. And I love being in that um, that sphere. I think I try and adapt that and put that into my my sets as well. Mm-hmm. I think the reason why I started DJing is well, I started DJing in 2013. And it's because I would go out to clubs and I would be at all these cool, interesting alternative spaces and the music was very mainstream. And I was like, it's not representing what aesthetically, sonically it's not representing what it is aesthetically. So I was like, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna start playing that and I actively do that. And I think now I'm at a place where I have so many residencies and so many different nights I do, but I also created my own. So I think creating my own was the best thing I could ever done. So I've got a club night called To The Left and the concept is to celebrate and play alternative R&B and hip hop, future beats, Jersey club, ballet funk, electronic music, um, hidden gems for me, which is like 2000s and like just songs that you've forgotten about. Mm-hmm. And like the root of it is R&B and it kind of touches everything else, but it's a little bit to the left, hence the name. So I feel like having something like that, a space like that, it allows me to kind of be free. And also a night that's about music it allows, it lets people know what they're coming for. Mm-hmm. So there's an element of freedom that we have as DJs playing in that space because I've set the precedent of like, this is where it is. You're coming to hear music. You're going to hear new and old and in between. And if that's not what you want, go to come to the other eight nights that I do. Right. So it's right. been times where I've been there and people are like, oh, you can play dancehall. No, I don't play dancehall because mm-hmm. I play dancehall everywhere else. You're going to mm-hmm. play trap? No. Mm-hmm. Are you going to play Afrobeat? No. Like I'll play afro pop i'll play alte i'll play like a fusion Mm -hmm. because i'm like i play like i love mainstream music i love dancehall afro beat trap Mm -hmm. like um, i love that stuff 
but I get to play that everywhere else. Right, right, I don't right, get right. to play K Trinada everywhere. I don't get oh, to play Solange everywhere. Yeah. I don't get to play Frank Ocean, Childish Gambino, Janae Aiko, Scissor. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I don't get to play Little Sims. Like, I don't get to play those artists everywhere. So I yeah, created a space for it. And just to interject on that, there are people like me that appreciate that because that's the music that you will hear at home or in the mm -hmm. park, but you don't get the privilege of hearing it outside. Yeah. And that, so that, no, that's really cool. And where, when's your next event happening? The next one's on the 23rd of June. It happens at the Mix Dawson, mm -hmm. formerly known as Visions. It's right by Dawson Junction. Um, it's every two months. So um, yeah, it's going to be happening in June and then August and then October. And then we'll have, a, we'll have a New Year's, we had a New Year's Eve one last year, which went off. Mm -hmm. Also do collaborations. So I'm trying to do more pop-ups. I did a, one with Soho House in March in Shoreditch um, branch which was a vibe and probably gonna be doing some more in summer, hopefully some rooftop or some like mm -hmm. day parties. Um, but yeah, there's gonna be a lot more going on. And also other, other types of events, I wanna like break off from there. I wanna do different things because I think the music that I specifically love, it's not always a party vibe as well. Mm -hmm. So this is where we can start doing like brunches and sipping paints and yes. you know, like different things where you can still hit like a lounge kind mm -hmm. of vibe. Mm -hmm. Cause there's so like, I'm at an age as well where I just like, I just enjoy some good R&B. I just wanna just chill. Not every day turn up. Turn up a lot of the time, but not every day. And you know what? Sometimes you wanna chill and talk. Yeah. I I, I, I feel like I'm sound like an old fogey now because <laughs> certain times I, I could be in a, in a dance here. Yeah? And someone's trying to talk to me and I'm like, I can't hear you. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm no, legit. And they're repeating it three or four times. I'm like, I oh, don't even worry about that. Mm -hmm. Like when we get to the toilet or whatever, yeah. just tell me them. But sometimes you do want to have, well, you do want to have a range of spaces. Everything from the ultimate turn up where your brain's glitching because you drank so much and you come home and there's gaps in the night. You yeah. want to have everything from that down to be able to, you know, like you said, that bar, lounge vibe. Yeah. So we can sit down, listen to a music. We can brush it. We're like, hey, you listen to this. Yeah. yeah. And, you need you need mm -hmm. that. So it's lovely to hear um that there are spaces for mm -hmm. us to enjoy. Um and I'm interested to see how that translates into at different activities. Mm -hmm. So you started to talk about sip um sip and stroke. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm like because mm -hmm. don't get me wrong, that like, there are so many it's nice to be in a club, but it'd be nice to enjoy the vibes in different types of environments. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And we're millennial. I don't know about you specifically, but I'm a millennial. We're yeah. like and as I grow and as I get older, like I want to socialize in different ways. Mm -hmm. Not so not to say I don't want to go. Like I said we're going to be in the club till I'm 80. Like I'll be there. <laughs> but there's other things I want to enjoy with my friends. And like I said, we want to interact, we want to be able to speak, but we also want vibes and energy. So I want to create that and also eventually have something that's more consistent. Because I think one of the biggest struggles I have in London is that we're event-based. Right. Like right. as black people, as queer people, as black queer people, like when someone comes over here from New York or from Paris, like, where do I go? I'm like, okay, let me see what's happening. Mm -hmm. I can't just tell them to go to that bar or go to that club because you just don't know. So I want to be consistent enough that like people know when they're like in the city or if they're here, can be like, I know what I'm getting. Like, I know I've got this vibe. Mm -hmm. And it might, like I said, it might not always be a club thing, but hopefully they could be frequent enough where people are like, I can just go there and that will be, and maybe that's partnering with a bunch of different bars and curating the playlist. Mm -hmm. um, like Ooh, there's a, just different a... things, yeah. Cause you know who, what, um, where has a wicked playlist, Sticks and Sushi, or okay. Sushi and Sticks. I can't remember which way it goes around. Which one? Um, well, it's a one, it's a chain. Yeah. They which... all use, they all the use, same place? I think they all use a Cause similar I've been playlist. to the one in Central, like okay. off of, um, where it's Soho. That, okay, okay. Um, I, and I that was one. cool. 
But I, you know what? Okay, so I didn't realize they use the same. Yeah, uh, yeah. Letters. So okay. the one I I go to the one in Greenwich because it's not too far. From okay. Me, and I was sitting there listening. I said, "This is the vibe," and I'm like, "Hold on." Where can I tune in? Yeah. They're like, yeah, we've got a playlist on Spotify. This is mm. what we're doing. And like a lot of us use a similar kind of Sonic or a similar kind of playlist mm. and like, wicked. So it'll be this is do you know what? DJs, DJs, people them, yeah. Hear what? There are opportun definitely opportunities to help retail organizations mm -hmm. to fix up their playlist because I can't. I worked in IKEA for five and a half years and the playlist them did I kill me. <laughs> Yo, it was terrible. Um, do you know what also be interesting? To see how DJs from our community, if there's an overlap with fitness, I've done. I've done that actually. What? I've DJed. Yeah, I've DJed quite a few fitness classes. So there's there's okay. a um, organization called NYD um, Global, and they partner with Adidas. So there's like Adidas have like a studio space in Brick Lane, okay. have like a gym kind of space. So I've done a few classes, like a kettlebell class. Um, and few others where I was DJing live and mm -hmm. I've also done a spin class as well. Did that with Pussy Palace. So they did an event and I was DJing for Pussy Palace um, as they did like people came and sp spun. And the good thing about that's interesting about that as well is that they created a space for people that don't always feel comfortable in those classes. So it was for like, yeah, like for non-binary and trans or or fluid people mm -hmm. that don't necessarily always feel comfortable going to the gym right, because right. of people looking at them. So that was an added extra thing, but I love it. I love like DJing for all different types of Cause events. That, Cause that, that's where I spend the, the majority of my time. If mm -hmm. I'm not in the gym, I'm in a climbing, I'm on a climbing wall mm -hmm. somewhere. And it's like, when I go to these places, but to be fair, do you know, shout out to NRG gym. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. They turn up in mm -hmm. there. They do turn up. But outside of that, I feel like the music is um, giving me that like Katy Perry vibes and giving me that like Avicii vibes and yeah. David Guetta. And I'm like, don't get, I'm not knocking. David yeah. Guetta can go off, you know, but I ain't trying to hear that right now. Mm -hmm. Right now, I need some Kano in my back pocket mm. to give me the oomph to get through this next set. Like, so I'm very, very passionate about that. So I would love to see um, just the increase and the growth in that area. And it may be that I've got a blind area in that, but I'm like, yes, DJs. Wheel up the team. Definitely. I think you tapped on something that's really interesting. I think that's something I try and do. It's about be creative. Mm. Be creative. Like there's so many spaces that we can utilize our skills outside of the club. Mm -hmm. um, and it's about trying to kind of bring that and bridge that. Like it touched on something that I've done recently. Cause like I love concerts. I love go to a show and I love R and B. And I will go to shows a lot of the time and I'm like, why am I hearing like this? like hardcore hip hop or this like next pop music and there's an R&B artist coming on. We don't get to hear this music a lot. It's like either there's no DJ and it's just a playlist and the playlist is bad or there's a DJ and he's just playing like dance or Afrobeat. And I'm like, mm -hmm. this is cool, I understand, but like, why, how come I can't hear like other type yeah. of stuff? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I've kind of put that, I'm trying to be more intentional with what I want to do. And um, I put that out in the air and it kind of came back and I ended up being um, Flo's tour DJ. Um, and I, um, I connected with them last year because I did it for like Julia Danugo. She has a party mm -hmm. and two of the girls were there and they came to me after my set and I was like, we love your set. We'd love to work with you at some point. I was like, okay, cool. People just say things. And then I ended up DJing for Jade from Little Mix's birthday right. in December and they were there again. And then, so in January, like their team reached out, like the girls are doing an event. They want you specifically. So I ended up DJing for their pop-up event for their single in February. And I did that, killed it. And the same night, their team messaged me, emailed me, and they were like, they want you to be on the tour. And then 
I did London, I did Manchester, and I don't know if you've seen the clips, mm -hmm. but it went off. People were singing songs word for word. I was playing everything from Bryson to the Don't to Keisha Cole Love to like slow jams that people were singing with their chest. And mm -hmm. it was just like, that's kind of another space that I want to enter. I want to enter like working with artists, playing music in spaces that like people appreciate music. Um, so yeah, so what you were saying, I think it's so important that like as DJs, we kind of manifest like different ways we want to kind of utilize our skills 100%. and put that out there because you never know. Do you know everything needs a backdrop or a theme tune to? Mm -hmm. There is there is never a time where minute music is inappropriate. Mm -mm. At that, you started to talk. Um, you you've meant, uh, excuse me, referenced Bashman a few times. Yeah. I wanted to ask you like. In environments where you're just spinning off your spinning off mm. your tunes, them. How do you feel about bashment with homophobic lyrics? I don't in I don't play it. Okay. I don't engage with it. I don't mm -hmm. entertain it. Mm -hmm. um, I think the older I've gotten, the more aware I am. Mm -hmm. Also, there's so much dancehall bashment music that doesn't have it. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, it's ingrained in the culture, mm -hmm. so you're not gonna get like pro lyrics, but. I don't, any any word, any song that has Batty Man in it, no, don't mm -hmm. play it. Any song that has Chichi Man, don't. Like, I'm very specific. Like, one, I don't have it. But two, I just don't like being around it. And I had a conversation. I was on uh, my friend Talia's podcast. Um, and we were speaking about this very thing. And I was saying that, like, I've been in queer nights where they've played, like, Logon or they'll play mm -hmm. something. And I stop. Like, I literally... and. For me, I understand some people feel like it's reclaiming, mm -hmm. um, like the way that we reclaim the word nigger, we mm -hmm. reclaimed queer. Mm -hmm. But for me, I don't see it as reclaiming because for me, how I see those songs, there's certain things like if it's, if it's just a word that's been used, that's one thing. But when a whole song is dedicated to the murder, like the killing of people, like burn them, kill them, people are chanting it and singing it from their chest for me. I can't, there's no other way to interpret that. Like mm -hmm. there's no way to bring joy to something that's still happening in the islands. That's happening in Africa and happening all over the world. Mm -hmm. Like, so for me, I'm very much not that. And I'm like, but I love dancehall music mm -hmm. and I always play it. Mm -hmm. And like I said, there's so much songs and artists I can play that don't, don't mention it. So I that's- think you, you, you picked up on a really interesting point. I think there has, there's been a massive shift shift in the dance hall um, atmosphere around mm. homophobic lyrics, mm. and I think that in the late nineties, early twenties, when people mm. start, when artists were getting banned, mm. and they weren't, and it's not no light ban. Like all ten years mm. later, they're not allowed to come into yeah. the country, and they soon realised mm -hmm. that it's not worth it. And I think it was um, Shabaranks, mm -hmm. who his whole he was at, at the peak of his whole career. Um, mm -hmm. career he had that interview mm -hmm. and made and spoke whatever he thought was his truth. That was it. You never saw my man again mm -hmm. like that at the same, at that, um, at that same, having the same visibility yeah. and success. And I think that a lot of Jamaicans and a lot of Caribbeans learned from that. Yeah. So like music does feel a little bit, it feels a lot cleaner that you can get into it now and I'm not going to hear a whoop. And then in the middle of the song, I'm thinking, hold on a minute now, wait, the mood just yeah. changed a little bit or I feel the prick. Yeah. That I feel that little... Oh, okay, mm -hmm. yeah. They they they're talking about me in yeah. this scenario, you know. So I do appreciate that. Now I bring it up because I watched a video on TikTok, mm -hmm. right? And it was um a Jamaican school and it was that like someone someone was recording on their phone and the kids are standing upstairs on the balcony and then there's kids in the yard and whatnot. Mm. And they've got like a big old speaker that I think probably would be the school tunnel. Yeah. 
they are thumping out. Um, I can't even remember what song it was, but it was one um, one of them songs. Yeah. There. And at that moment, I thought, shit, shit, hold on, this, this, this is deeper than I have given it mm-hmm. credit for because before I didn't care. Mm-hmm. What are we logging mm-hmm. on a flick yeah. up my lighter? Like I'm not gonna lie, but I, I've always felt that conflict in me. But you know, what it is I'm black and Jamaican before I'm queer. So you see when I'm hearing the vibe, it, the, there's something about certain tunes. I said, nah, this song is just wavy. But as I've got older, steady, steadily, but surely, I've felt more uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that video with, there must have been about 100 kids mm-hmm. singing their hearts out on the school grounds with this thumping. I said, no, nah, this ain't right. This ain't right. I said, firstly, the fact that it's played in the school and these kids, they're no, they're no older than 16 months. Mm-hmm. I thought the level of indoctrination that's happening on a subconscious level, then that's when I clocked fuck. Beyond how I feel about this and how we as black queer folks might feel, what it's doing to us subconsciously ain't good. It ain't. There's so much internalized homophobia. Mm-hmm. That's the dumb thing. But also, one thing I try and like speak on, like I would never condemn anyone. Everyone mm-hmm. has their own walk and their own moral compass. Mm-hmm. So if you want to listen to something, that's up to you. If you want to sing along something, that's up to you. I don't agree with it, but I'm not here to speak on your life. Mm-hmm. One thing I will remind people though is that like the life that we're living is a privilege. Like as black queer people in the UK is a privilege. It's not a right. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it should be, but it isn't. Mm-hmm. So when we're dancing and singing songs, but if we were in the country where the song came from, we would be killed for right. existing or beaten up or shunned. Currently, it today, 2023, not 15, 20 years ago now, mm-hmm. I'm like, understand your privilege. So you can kiki and laugh and be like, oh, it's just a song. But our cousins, our family, our, you know, people that look like us are suffering mm-hmm. off the back of the song right now. So for me, this is why I'm so passionate. I'm like, and I, I know some, as I've gotten older, I'm more aware of it. So mm-hmm. I understand everyone doesn't look too deep into things. And also I feel very privileged in life. I say this all the time. Like I've been blessed with so much opportunities. Like I'm a openly queer black male who can work comfortably in any environment. I, I get bookings, like I don't have to hide or suppress myself in any way, which is also rare, even in this country. Mm. So because I've got so much, I look at things differently and I'm just like, nah, like it, like I, it's not even that things are not just bad, things are going, getting worse. Things are being repealed. Things happen in Uganda. Things are happening in Ghana. Like they're creating laws to try and like discriminate us even more. Mm-hmm. So when that's happening, I'm just like, cool, do what you do, but just understand that like, if we were in another position in another country, it would be a completely different situation. We wouldn't even have the freedom to have a party, let alone sing these kind of lyrics. Mm-hmm. When you said that, it just I had like an image that cropped up in my mind because it is one thing to be able to listen to it, Kaka and Kiki, mm. go and love who you want to love and close your front door and mm. still be safe. Now, imagine if you're living in, say you're living in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. I use that as an example. And you're living in an in environment where maybe, like, you know, like a house here. So maybe there's, yeah. because you know, certain times someone will live at the bottom and yeah. someone lives at the top. And imagine if you're at the ground floor or something or the upstairs and your neighbor's thumping this and you're from the community. Mm. That could be quite frightening. Yeah. That could be, that, that could be really frightening to hear those lyrics in the yard, knowing that the person, your neighbor means it mm-hmm. and you're in the yard thinking, fucking hell. Mm-hmm. Shit, I, and the thing is, I'd never thought about it to this extent outside mm. of this conversation, but it is, it's real. And 
like you said, it's not coming from a space of judgment, but just mm. I guess consistently reflecting on the, on things over the course of time because mm-hmm. you do feel those shifts and just being able to challenge your perspective from mm. the experience of someone else. And yeah. just this has made me think for real because I've got friends out in Jamaica all now that they're they're femme queer girls, mm. they're straight passing per yeah. se, but the issues that they have to deal with as being straight passing and they're fully queer. It's mad. It's mad. And I have to lend my sympathy for those people and advocate for what is comfortable and what is right for them mm-hmm. other than what's a turn up for me. In mm-hmm. that. Hey, listen, my eyes are opening today. You know? Trust me. Um, but I wanted to um, get into some 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 of the details around just kind of where you're at as mm-hmm. a person and some of that backstory. So from the outside looking in the past, what, 18 months, mm-hmm. 24 months, Listen, it looks like an, it looks like you're having a blast. It yeah. looks like success. It looks like fun. It looks like support. It looks like visibility, camaraderie, mm-hmm. as you have said, you know. But what has life looked like for you behind the scenes? Um, it's been all of that mm-hmm. and work mm-hmm. and and grinding. I think I'm very um open about my age. I'm 35. And I feel like it's important for people to understand that when they see my journey, that it took a while for me to get here. And uh, people say like, it's a, it's a known thing that takes seven years to become mm-hmm. an overnight sensation. Mm-hmm. And like, for me, that's exactly how it's been. Like a lot of people that know me well know that I've been grinding. I did bar work for 10 years. Like I worked in West, South, East, like while I was like, like working, I got my first full-time job at 29 in a production company. Mm-hmm. Like, and even during that point, like I said, I had gone and told Beyonce, I had gone and told Lil Wayne, I had worked with all these different artists and creatives and shot all these things. I still wasn't in a position to sustain myself financially until I was 29. And then that was good. And then I got to like 32 and then like things jumped again. And now I'm in the best position I've ever been in my life, financially, creatively, socially. So I like to put that out there just to be like, you have to work at it. You ha- Like it's a long race. Mm-hmm. Like you literally have to take your time um, and just keep grinding and keep believing in yourself. Um, and don't be afraid to try something new. I think that's also important because like I studied video production and like that was my thing. That was my path. I'm going to be a director. I'm going to do this. And a lot of those things did come into fruition. But then like DJing became one of the big passions and that took the forefront. And mm-hmm. I allowed that to be the case. And then through that, so much more opportunities came my way. Um, so I think that is a thing. I think the world changed as well in the space of me like growing and figuring out. So like I graduated in 2009. Mm-hmm. When I graduated, there was no Instagram. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. like the only social media there was Facebook and I think Twitter maybe had come out. So a lot of the, a lot of the opportunities that I received now weren't available because you had to be a part of a big agency. It was so much nepotism. It's like you had to know someone in this production company and at this brand or whatever. So black people weren't getting it. Young people weren't getting it. Black, young, queer people weren't getting things. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't now, when I speak about privilege all the time, is that like people in this day and age, they have access to so much and I'm glad they do. I don't want anyone to have it as hard as I did. That's the whole reason I'm as visible as I am. I want things to be easier Mm -hmm. for the people that come after me. But also just acknowledge that like, how things are isn't how it's always been and that there's a lot of work that goes into it. So for me, it's been an amazing few years. It's been an amazing life. Like I've enjoyed my life and I've enjoyed the last few years and amazing opportunities. This is just the beginning. I've got so much more that I want to do and achieve. And I think you touched upon it, but it's like, I actively want to be visible. I remember making that, having that conversation. I came out when I was 25. Um, And when I came out, 
I was like, okay, let me understand myself. I've got to learn who I am as a queer person, as a gay man. And, and that journey in itself was like, it took years because at first I didn't fit anywhere. My tagline was too gay for the straights, too straight for the gays, which was like, I would go to the gay club and I'm like, I don't feel like this is me, but back in the straight clubs didn't feel like me anymore. So I had to go and find and explore and figure all things out and understand the concept of duality and having masculine and feminine energy and all of those things. So once I did that, I was like, okay, cool. I'm in a place, I'm comfortable, I'm getting jobs. Like, and it's crazy because I would be like out, like, and I would, when I was working at a production company, I would do a lot of work with Nike, a lot of grime artists, a lot of like alpha male artists. And then I remember in 2018, I started working with Skepta. Um, I became his videographer and photographer. So it started off by going to Paris and then I went to Amsterdam, then Nigeria. And then I went on a tour around the whole of Europe. And that was an amazing experience. One, just as a creative, because I was, I didn't sleep. I was shooting video and photography, but for me, what it meant was bigger than me. Like I was like an out, like visibly gay man working with one of the biggest like rap grime artists in the country. And I was myself, you know what I'm saying? And like, and him and his team and his boys and everyone met me where I was at. And for me, I was like, <coughs> growing up, that was never a possibility. One, I didn't think I would be able to be this out and visible. And two, if I did, I thought I would have to live a sheltered life or I have to live over there. So being able to exist as myself, but in very like mainstream or alpha male traditional spaces has been amazing. But being able to do it publicly as well has been great because I want to show people that like, you don't need to change who you are. Talent will speak for itself. Mm -hmm. Work ethic will speak for itself. Integrity will speak for itself. So I do that. I do that with my relationship. I've been my partner for four years um, and I actively put that out. He's the first person I ever put on, on the gram because I'm like, girl, everyone should be know my business. But mm -hmm. we were solid and comfortable and we were both in a good space. And like, for me, like, I don't know what it's like for females, but in the black gay male sphere, there's not a lot of black male same sex, like couples. It's always interracial that we see on like, a, on like um, in a public sphere. So for me, it was important to showcase like black gay love amongst males. And I think through that, we've done a few campaigns with Bumble and like JD Sports and like a bunch of different things. Um, and it's been crazy to get the response that we've got. Like I speak to younger queer, black and brown people and they tell me how much of a help it's been just having representation or seeing something. And for me, that's one of my biggest purposes. Like more than DJing, more than being a creative, like giving hope, giving visibility and representation to people that look like me, that come from where I come from is like one of the biggest things in the world. Sorry, that was like my longest like tangent speech, but yeah, hopefully that Love covered it. it. It's everything. It's everything because we're the same age. Are you 88 or 87? I'm 88. Okay, so my I'm 87. Okay. So I could wear the same academic year. Yeah. But I've just fall before the, yeah. just before the new year. And um, I get it. I get it. I remember life Life was so simple mm -hmm. growing up. And even if I take it back to you talking about the box, mm -hmm. when you used to have to text in. Yeah. Text in and request your music. Yeah. And you, there were, you couldn't pause the TV. You mm -hmm. had to sit down and wait. And what you were given was what you were given. What you saw was what was reality. Mm -hmm. Right. And the world was a lot smaller at that time. 
Um, so when you're just talking about how expansive things have become and how opportunities have come, I get it because I think Instagram come when I was like 19. Mm-hmm. I'd lived, a, that's a whole, feels like a whole lifetime mm-hmm. to a certain extent when you think of all the experiences mm-hmm. you've had up until that point and just how things change. And I didn't really log on to social media, I'd say probably until, I got Instagram when I was like 26. Mm-hmm. Right, 26. And even then I was just using it to upload my little holiday picture. Yeah. It was like a digital archive yeah, of things yeah. that would happen and I could do a little bit of stunting and I never even knew how to stunt on it. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know how to take pictures because who was taking pictures? It was the little photo brief with yeah. stickers that used to stick on the back of the bus pass. Brother, you know what I'm talking yes, about. Yes, I know exactly. Right? Yeah. So there was all of these things that posing, I, I didn't know about that. I didn't, <laughs> selfie, no, all of this. So it's something that, I've had to learn as a core skill mm-hmm. just to navigate life as it is. And then all of the professions and opportunities that have come from that. And I think it's right to speak upon it because sometimes we can, because it's everyday and normalized, we mm. take it for granted, yeah. you know? Um, and what you were talking about um, in terms of black queer love, mm-hmm. visibility, something that I observe. Um, and D, you know, it'd be good to hear your insights on this. When you, when I see mask presenting in general, if they're not dark skin, mm-hmm. it's these broad-shouldered, chiseled jaw, androgynous-looking white women, mm-hmm. right? That look like, say, Kira Knightley, <laughs> right? If Kira I just Knightley. use that, just if I use that, <laughs> but as I don't exactly what right? you mean. Yeah, that's often the the image that you get. Now, if they're gonna try and dip into brown skin, it's probably gonna be a mixed race looking. Mm-hmm. Do you know where I'm coming yeah. from, right? So we're not necessarily represented because mm-hmm. we're um, we're not the young MAs. Yeah. You understand where I'm coming from? I don't look like that. So it's, again, when I see Lena Waif, mm-hmm. then I started to feel like, yeah, now now we're kind of mm-hmm. getting somewhere because yeah. Lena, that... I still don't look like Lena, but yeah. that, that is the, that's <laughs> the closest that I've seen to date. Yeah. You know? So I think just on a very... Um, basic level the representation isn't necessarily there but i think it's coming Mm -hmm. and it's coming through i don't want to take credibility for for that because i don't know what happened in previous generations but i feel like the millennial generation has really covered a lot of ground yeah so um i want to shout out to aisha and lexi um shabu now they are a beautiful depiction of black queer love God, I fucking love it. Like, they just look so good together. And I remember you met my missus outside mm-hmm. and she's she's very, very shy in some respects. And I said to her, like, no, nah, babe, come, just come with me. Mm. We're about more time than not. Because you know what? First and foremost, I've lived my whole life without you. Mm-hmm. And now that we get to have all of these experiences, I just want to share and I feel comfortable around mm-hmm. you, which is nice. But also that representation of what a solid black unit looks like. Mm-hmm. This is not my girlfriend off the internet. Yeah. This this will be my partner wherever it is that we yeah. go. And we I will always show that United Front. If she's not with me, then I represent us. And I think it's lovely for the younger generation to be able to tap into that. Because mm-hmm. I don't know if I even really... I'm trying to think of like the gay people or queer people that would have been kind of like in my in my awareness when I was younger. So like things like... Um, the late Paul O'Grady, mm-hmm. he was um, former Lily mm. Savage, um, Graham Norton. It's white men. That's, this is that's this is what it. took me so long to come out because mm-hmm. I didn't identify with being gay because I didn't see anyone that looked like me that what was you? gay. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's so cliche, but like Frank Ocean was the first time I saw a black man that was creative that I could connect with. I'm like, okay, 
I see, I see myself in this person. And I think, um, so before that point it was, yeah. Very, and whenever it was a black person, it was a mockery. Yeah. It was always like a joke. It was like, uh, you know, a ridiculous version, but I hadn't seen like a serious portrayal of black queerness. Like, mm -hmm. um, so now luckily there's so much more, mm -hmm. um, there's still not enough, but there's a lot more than what we had. Mm -hmm. Um, but Even just to add, do you know, do you know who come to the dance late? But I'm glad they came. Auntie Gina Yashere. Oh yeah, yeah. Because you see, yeah. Auntie Gina, when I was young, ain't the same Auntie Gina yeah. that I'm seeing now. Yeah. What? Yo, see the trim looks crazy. Yeah. She's got her woman locked out. She's got it. Got yeah. That yeah. makes me feel good as a mask when I'm looking at what you can look like when yeah. you're older. How you can style mm -hmm. and pattern. I'm like. Yeah, that looks good to me. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't mind. Oh, there was something else that crossed my mind and it's just flown out. Ah, crap. Talking about black queers, black, uh, Junior. I'm sure it will circle back mm. to me. Um, but before we even wrap up, I just wanted to kind of cover what have been some of the highlights and biggest moments for you over the past 12 months and things that you never would have thought could have happened. I know I'm starting from the top. <laughs> I got to meet and DJ for Janet Jackson. Woo! That moment right there mm. when i tell you i'm a beyonce fan but i'm a janet fan first like janet was my girl when i grew up i literally had like her video her control um video anthology and i watch it every day like i have the dance moves down packed so i love janet and i remember getting the call like we're doing janet's like 20th anniversary of velvet rope like um i was 25 yeah actually i think and um yeah, we want you to DJ. And I was like, okay, cool. I've done things like this before. The ice was never usually there. Mm. And then like they sprung on me like, yeah, Janet's gonna be there. And I was like, oh, okay. And like, I was even content with just her being in the room. It was done at Shoreditch House in a small space. It was very intimate. And then like, when she came, she came in and then she introduced herself to me. Like yeah. I was like, she did her speech. She was standing right in front of me. And then she turned around, she introduced herself to me and gave me a hug and I was like, I wasn't expecting all of that. Like I was expecting just to be, and that was transformed. And then she stayed and she partied and I DJed and it was like the most nervous set I've ever played in my life because I'm like, okay, what can I play? Do I, do I play Janet? Do I not play Janet? Do I play Michael? I can't play Justin Timberlake. Like, you know the ones where it's like, you know, <laughs> they're just like, you, you start, you start thinking about everything. You're like, not, okay. Not, not Justin. Yeah, it's political, but like, no, that mm. was definitely one of the best experiences I've had. Like something mm. I never thought was possible. Mm -hmm. Um, Congratulations on that. Thank you. Seriously, like, thank Janet. Ah, uh, I love, J Janet is a weird one for me because I never grew up understanding mm -hmm. her, but the thing is, I liked her content. Mm -hmm. I liked her music, go back. I'll her say, voice. Go and, I would say go and research her because she's iconic. Like, she's a template mm -hmm. for so much. And Agreed. when you think about politics, like, for the black community, she was, she has the, the highest ever records um, label signing in history. Like, she went wow. at her peak she was huge and she was actively like, like for black people, for the queer community, for HIV and AIDS. Like she know. was such and like a very prominent figure. Um, but um, but that was definitely a big moment for me. Mm -hmm. I think another one was like, like I said, starting my night, starting my club night to the left, which I did last year. Um, and just seeing the people come out. I think like I DJ for a lot of different events and it's all amazing. I love all of them. Um, but my name's on it. 
So I'll, over the years, I've built a following of people that come out because they know what I play. So when I created my club now, I didn't put my name on it. And like, I also put it on TikTok and it appealed to a whole different demographic, but it was promoted by the music. Right. So being at a club night where like 75% of people I had never seen before and they didn't know who I was, mm-hmm. was beautiful because it just made me like, you guys came out for what I'm offering and they've been coming back. So that was an amazing experience. Um, uh, outside of like, like work, um, me and my partner, we got, we bought a house, we bought our place. Congratulations. Um, well, we got a mortgage. Well, there's a difference. Come it's it's all a scam, but it's an iconic scam. Um, but like, <laughs> um, yeah, but um, that was something I never really thought was going to happen. Like coming from a working class family, growing up in Hackney, being a creative, mm-hmm. I made peace with like, yeah, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to buy somewhere. Like it just wasn't something that was like possible. So to not only do that, but also do that with my partner, mm. um, another black Caribbean man, um, for me was a very, very like amazing thing and achievement. Um, there's just, yeah, I feel like I've just, there's been so much amazing opportunities and things that's happened over the last year. I did a documentary at the end of last year, which took me to Atlanta and Nigeria, um, which was mm-hmm. which was really amazing and fun. Like I, like so much different things keep happening. Like I shot a project for Puma, did a campaign for them two weeks ago, but artist called Gracie. And then one of the people sent me like, the picture was put on the newspaper. And it's like, yeah, it reached four, it had 46 million impressions. And I'm like, so there's like, just knowing that I'm doing things and this, I haven't even posted about it. Like there's so much that I do, I don't even post because there's not enough time. Mm. Like I've got so much other things I'm going, like I'm doing, but it's just, I just feel so grateful and blessed that a lot of things that I've, been working towards is all coming to fruition mm-hmm. right now. Mm. I feel that and I, I'm just so happy for you. Thank you. I, I, I am because you. when you hit the 35 mark, it's a definitely a reflective moment where mm-hmm. you kind of look back and think, okay, I've got, I've had a good set of years yeah. behind me, right? But I've got at least another, say you've got another 40 under your belt. And it's like, okay, now I'm kind of got that wisdom. I've got that maturity. I've got resource and access mm-hmm. to assets and so on. And I've got a foundation, which is ultimately the foundation I've built for myself. It just, the lane's wide open, now. Mm-hmm. wide open. And I can't wait to see what the journey looks like over the next few years. Like, I'll be tuned in. You're going to see me at some of these events. They see yes. me, my missus just holding up yes. four corners. <laughs> and, you know, but I definitely, um, I want to do a part two. It's very rare that I say that, but I do want to do a part two because there are so many questions and topics I haven't even got into, but I wanted to, I think it's important that we talk about what's important to you and that we fill out questions, we fill out the answers properly. Do you get right? I appreciate that. No, I really, rather than being a tick box of like, we literally had a good conversation. And this this is what, this is the people's front room. I always Mm -hmm. say this is the people them's front room and I've got so much from this conversation and I want to do a part two and I'm going to shout you. I'm so down a hundred percent. Honestly, what I want to, what I would love to look at is um, the mindset of a creative mm-hmm. and the experience of a creative. Cause I think it can look really glossy and it looks really, really fun. Yeah. And most people would look at that and say, I want to do that. Like, yeah. And I completely agree. I'm like, and I think it's a wonderful experience, a wonderful set of experiences, yeah. but there are so many things that are happening that it's people just- a can't. lot. Yeah. Like even even that documentary I said I did last year, I had like two breakdowns 
Mm-hmm. In the, I was so stressed because I was shooting, I was directing, mm-hmm. I was shooting and I was editing on the go. Mm-hmm. We went from London to Atlanta to Lagos. There was Ooh. five days between it. There was big shows, but it was with two brands. So I needed to churn out content mm. as we were going. I was doing like edits whilst traveling, whilst filming, without sleep. It was a lot. And there was like, I literally, and I love the team I was working with. Because I literally was like, I can't do this. I'm, I can't. I literally had literally had a whole breakdown because I was just like, it was just too much and it was overwhelming. And I think people like, I have sleepless nights. There's times where I'm working back to back. Like even up to last night, I was editing until like 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. Like people don't see all of the work that goes into it. It's like, it's not easy. I do it because I love it. And if you don't love it, then the fun part isn't going to be fun enough to sustain you. 100%. You have to love it for you to be able to, cause like, I would say I have less time for myself now that I'm freelance. Now that I'm a full time, like freelancer, I I can't remember the last time I've taken a break or holiday. I work weekends, evenings, nights. I do because I'm passionate and I'm learning to create boundaries mm-hmm. and I'm learning to be like, okay, cool. I've got to carve out time. Opportunities will come, opportunities will go, but I need to carve out time for my mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something people don't say. I, like, we don't, as black people specifically, we're not taught how to deal with success. We're taught to chase it. Right. We're taught grind, 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 get this opportunity, get this money, get this bag. Cool, I got that. Now what? How, what is, like I said, what does the next number 40, 50 years look like whilst maintaining success? Because that is so much harder than getting it. And mm-hmm. I think that's why I like to talk about and be vocal. Like maintaining it isn't easy. Like I never had, I've never had a manager. I've never had a booking agent. I've never had a team. So I get all of these things and I've got to be the one answering emails. And then I've got to create the invoices. I've got to chase things up at the same time, do the creative stuff. Cause you're, you're essentially, right? In corporate terms, you're admin, mm-hmm. you're the office manager, yeah. your production, you're the creative team, your marketing, mm-hmm. your finance, you're all of it. Everything. And your logistics. Yeah. Yeah, to make, to make sure everything is everything in one. Like, and when we talk about multidisciplinary creative, oftentimes, and, and even me, you know, my mind goes mm. to the the multi the multi levels of your creativity and mm. how you express that. But I think even within that, when you break it down, I want to look at your your ability to mm. create an invoice, mm-hmm. to file your taxes. All mm-hmm. that, that's multidisciplinary in and, in it, and of itself. Do you get what I'm saying? It's the from? truth. It's no, it's mm. really true, and we don't have that in our community. Like, we don't have that level of um, financial education. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're like, I can't mind if you remember the first time you did an invoice. I literally didn't know what I was, I was like, an invoice? Mm-hmm. What's an invoice? I had to go online and start looking yeah. it out. I wanted to see, like, I needed to see templates. Right. And I was Tem- like, okay, what are you supposed to put in invoice here? Number? I didn't know what, first, I remember the first time someone said, oh, um, they sent me their invoice details. And I was like, why are you sending me your address? I literally was so confused. I was like, <laughs> what am I supposed to do with this? Like, I didn't know I was supposed to put their information on it as well yeah. as my, like, and I'm like, it's like I said, this is we came from a time that even when there was internet, it wasn't as freely mm-hmm. uh, available. We now, was on the dialing the beep, bap, boop, bap, boop, We were on teletext. Yeah. <laughs> I believe in. Ah, Fam, my mum booked a holiday for us on teletext yes. for us, Clark. And mm. this this is our age. I'm telling you, and I know there are going to be Gen Z people looking at us like, what the hell what's is teletext? Te- what's teletext? Tele- How do you text on the TV? Teletext, A A A. On your TV, it had it was black screen, yellow writing, yeah. and and it literally had all the information. It had the weather, it yeah. had the lottery yeah. results, Everything. it had <laughs> you could book your holiday. Yeah. It was so cinema, yes, cinema <coughs> yeah. times. Yeah. Oh my goodness, like they're literally 
Uh, it was, wait, where area did you grow up in? I grew up in Catford. Okay. Because I knew you said you was coming from North today because I was like, I didn't know if you ever did um, Wood Green. Because back in the day, I just, I just remember, it just made me think about cinema. Mm -hmm. Like, that was that was the only moment. We went. We didn't have shopping centers like that. It was you go to the cinema. We would go Wood Green. We went to Aromas, which was the buffet Chinese for five pound, yeah. and then go to cinema. You had ten pound, five pound for cinema, five pound for food, and then go home. Um, it's so it was funny, a different time. You used to have to go Saigon or you go Taiwan Main. But, see, that was it. It and didn't matter where you're from. Everyone had their Chinese and their right? cinema. And ten, do you know how far? If you had twenty pound, that twenty four pound can't go far because that's. Entry, you can get snacks at the cinema and you can go buffet and you've got travel to get there and back home. Mm -hmm. You're not doing that today. Mm -hmm. That 20 pound is not reaching that far. No, but for, as well, before we even wrap up, I just want to say, listen, man, I appreciate you. I appreciate the fact that you're adding value to our, commun our community. Because I think there's a lot of people contributing and I think that's a positive thing. We should um, contribute and participate. But it's when I'm seeing the value Thank added you. when I, I, I that's what moves me and you're and it's who you are as a person and how that translates in all of your kind of multi-disciplines you know and I just wish you the very best on your journey and we're gonna like I said D get ready for your diary get ready for your diary yeah. we're gonna do a part two because I do want to get into we've done a lot of the kind of the front yeah. cover the level that people see and just talking about that, but I want to actually be able to then show the behind the scenes mm -hmm. of what life looks like when when you achieve these things, when you are aspiring, you're hardworking. What are what's the what are the prices and the sacrifices and the compromises that you have to make mm -hmm. within that, and what does life look like within yeah. that? So if you're down, we'll do I'm it. I'm honestly 100 down. I want to give you your flowers too. I think you're amazing, incredible. What you're doing is going to stand the test of time, and I feel like documenting us as a community, as beings, as like on a re serious and respectful level. Mm. Like, and I'm not shading anyone. Like, it's so good that we have entertainment. We need to laugh. Like laughter will get us through the hardest times. Mm. Um, but I think as a black community, we're so used to entertainment that we don't always have, take the time to really dissect and go a little bit deeper. Mm -hmm. So for you having these conversations, having me and having all of our like counterparts on this platform is such an amazing thing. So just mm. thank you. Well done and mm. keep it up because honestly, you're doing something special here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And um, just plug your socials, all of them where people can find you on your many ventures and tap into your multi-disciplines. Thank you. Um, so I go by Donnie Sunshine. That's D-O-N-N-I-E Sunshine. In Google, everything's there. But um, on Instagram, it's Donnie underscore Sunshine. On TikTok, it's just Donnie Sunshine. I have a photography page called Shoot Donnie, which is all one word. And then I've got my club night brand called To The Left. On Instagram, it's To The Left underscore Can't Get Right. Um, and yeah, I would say definitely go to my Instagram. I have a link tree. Everything is in there. Mm -hmm. It connects to everything. So, And I'll be, you know, when, when we have our week and we release, I'll be making sure I tag everything to make Perfect. it easy so people Thank can find you. you. And people, you know where to find me. It's Meg Talks Online on Instagram. Meg Talks Online on TikTok as well. I just want to thank you um, for the support because I've been getting some really lovely messages. Nice. Um, people engaging on that deeper level. And I love that. That's where I'm at my best. That's where yeah. I love to be. So, you know, people continue to engage, continue to chat. I'm always here. Until next time. <laughs>